The first reading is taken from the first book of Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, and can be found on page 1144 and 1145 of the Pew Bibles. Christ, the wisdom and power of God. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. This is the word of the Lord. If you want to follow the second reading in the Bible beside you, it's on page 1065, 1065. It should also appear on the screen. So it's John 2, beginning at verse 13. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover... Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, Get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? His disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. Then the Jews demanded of him, What miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority? To do all this. Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. 
This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, two challenging readings for us set for today as we prepare ourselves during Lent for Good Friday and Easter to come. We thank you for these words of confidence in the power of your cross and in your resurrection for us. So please, by your Holy Spirit now, open our hearts our ears and our minds that we might hear your word spoken to us and our hearts that we may respond with faithfulness to you. Amen. I'm told that it's possible to make a pair of glasses which when you put them on change what you see so that it's upside down which would perhaps explain why you're all sitting on the ceiling at the moment in our gospel reading we find that the leaders of Jesus' day were wearing glasses which had turned the world upside down for them They'd learned to box God into a building, which meant that outside the building, in the marketplace, in the public square, they could do whatever they liked, they felt. Because that building was in their country, they thought it meant that they could do anything they liked on the international scene, and God would protect them to keep his building safe. They thought that because they controlled God's building, That meant that they got to choose who they ushered into God's presence and who they kept out. And what's more, they could make money out of the whole process to boot. Well, Jesus came to take off those glasses. Oh, that's better. The right way up again now. And on this occasion, he did it in a very dramatic public way shutting down that temple, that building, that place of the presence of God for that day. Well, if someone were to come in here this morning in the middle of the baptism service and say, whoa, 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 stop there, stop, stop, everybody stop, stop. You've all got to go home now. The service is over, the baptism finished, off you go, go home now. Go on, out you go. How do you think I'd feel? I might be a bit upset. How do you think Max and Charlie would feel? They'd be very cross. Don't get to plunge into the water. We might want to know why this person got to stand up on the stage and tell us to go home. By what right? By what authority? Are they from the police? Are they from the bishop? Or are they just a troublemaker trying to spoil our happy morning? 
Well, not surprisingly, that's what those religious leaders wanted to know. Who is this man coming in with a whip of cords and driving out the cattle and the doves and the money changers and whatnot? This is God's building, so only he gets to shut it down. And clearly this man isn't from the religious authorities. So can he, can he give some miracle to demonstrate that he's from God? The other Gospels have this incident, this moment in, uh, in the uh, temple with Jesus driving out the money changers. They have that right at the end of his life, in his last week. Uh, straight after his other big public declaration where he gets on a donkey and he rides into town like a king coming in peace on a, a donkey a, a, in, a, in a peace car rather than a, a king coming in war on a war horse coming in anger. Rather a king coming in peace and love. But John puts this passage here right at the beginning. If you were to look in your Bibles um, at the beginning of that chapter, you would see that uh, immediately beforehand, Jesus has been at Cana in Galilee at a wedding. And there he hasn't disrupted all the proceedings. What he's done is he's helped them along. They run out of wine, and Jesus, without telling anybody, has turned some huge casks of water into the best wine of the celebration. And John has said this was the first sign that Jesus gave that he was God's Messiah and the disciples put their faith in him. And this is the first of many signs, John says, that John was going to show of his authority who he was. So then in delightful irony, we get this next passage with Jesus in the temple and the leaders of the temple asking exactly that. Who, what's your authority to do these things you're doing, to say these things that you say? And because we've read the first half of the chapter, we think, ah, his authority is the miraculous sign of the water turned into wine. And we guess that there's going to be a whole bunch of signs following on. So this passage is asking the question which we will be looking for the answer to as we read through John's Gospel towards the end of Jesus' life. Now the sign that Jesus offers to these people is quite a puzzling sign. It's a sign that speaks directly to the temple, to this situation. Get rid of this house, this house of God, says Jesus, and I'll build you another, better, fitter one for God to live in, God's glory. Rather than this building where you keep people out and you charge them money to come into the presence of their heavenly father. Well, I guess that may have seemed to the leaders like a bit of a trick question. If someone would say to me, tell you what, you knock St. Jude's down and I'll build it again in three days. Well, that's not exactly going to happen, is it? I'm neither going to knock the building down, nor could I. So we'll never find out whether this person was telling the truth or not. But in fact, what Jesus is doing is using coded language to leap forward three years to the end of his ministry 
past all the other signs and miracles, some of which we hear about at the end of this passage, to that greatest miracle of all, and that greatest sign of all, the sign of God's love made present even in death through new life. The sign of crucifixion turned in three days into resurrection. So what Jesus is actually saying to these religious leaders is this. When you finally decide that you've had enough of me and you decide to crucify me and destroy this body, this temple of the presence of God, which you will, then I promise you, within three days, by the power of God and the Holy Spirit at work in me, this temple which you have destroyed will be rebuilt in the resurrection to the glory of God. And that will be my authority, the proof that I come here in God's name and that this temple which I offer to you is truly and most fitly the place of the presence of God. Well, after the resurrection, the disciples would remember what Jesus had said and they would make the connection between these words about, about the temple being destroyed and in three days being rebuilt and his body being destroyed and in three days risen from the dead. And Paul too would make the same connection as we heard in our other reading. Crucifixion as the final act of a, an international leader's public career might seem uh, rather... Hopeless, folly, complete powerlessness, total defeat. But in fact, the aftermath of the crucifixion being resurrection demonstrated it was not any of those things. It was, in fact, divine wisdom, unstoppable power, and complete victory. If only these leaders would take off their upside-down glasses so that they could see. They would be able to align themselves with God's unstoppable divine wisdom and power. They could align their nation with him and their future would not be the distraction that it turned out to be. Well, Charlie and Max's baptism today has been just this kind of an upside-down sign. We think that they are just children and toddlers, that we're the ones in control, the ones making the decisions. We think that we've got God boxed up in a pretty ceremony with some cute photographs. But their baptism brings to us Christ's challenge to us too. Stop looking at God through the viewfinder of your camera. Take off your glasses 
so that you can see things the right way up. See that through the power of Jesus' spirit, God the Father has plunged these two toddlers into his love. Choosing them to be his servants and his warriors. God's love is freely available to Max, to Charlie, to each one of us. To children as to adults. Jesus is calling these two children to follow him, to live in his presence. And he is calling you, each one of you, to join them there. And the authority of Jesus to do this, to call you and me to follow him, it's that same sign of weakness made power, of fully made wisdom, of death made into life, which he offered to those long ago religious leaders. Crucify me however you like, and I will come to life again by the Father's power. Box me up, and I will break out. Shut me out, and I will break in. You will deal with me, one way or another, sooner or later, because I am the Father's presence here on earth and the way into his presence in heaven. Alternatively, you could receive my, my sign from the wedding in Cana in Galilee, where I say to you that if you offer me the water of your daily human life, I will turn it into the rich, good, best wine of God's love for you and his presence with you and his eternal life forever to come. So why not do as these two children have done by their parents' choice? Why not entrust yourself to my love and it will embrace you? Plunge yourself in my forgiveness and it will cleanse you. Live my life and I will live in you. Now and in all eternity. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for these two signs. The sign of life and the sign of judgment and of new worship. Help us to hear that sign as you intend it for our hearts and for our lives. Help us to hear that you love us and you promise us the riches of your grace in your presence. The judgment of our actions on the cross and the glory of your unstoppable power for life in the resurrection. Let us respond to you 
that your folly may become our wisdom and your weakness our strength, that we may believe in you, Lord Jesus Christ, who turned death into life eternal by the power of your Spirit to the glory of your Father. Amen.